Hello, and welcome to In Discovery We Trust, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Today, we will be talking about the first half of Season 1 and the new IDW comic, Star Trek Discovery, The Light of Kalas, the story of the young Takuvma. I am Ethan, and I'm joined by... Kevin. And let's get going here. So, the first half of the season is over. I can't believe it's already come and gone. Uh, nine episodes already. So how are you feeling about how the show has gone thus far? I feel good about it. I think it was a great ride. Um, there was so much change. Mm-hmm. I feel like the show went through three or four different incarnations through yep. the first half of the season, which is different than what we're used to from Star Trek. And right. I, I really like that. It seemed a little jarring at first particularly after those first two episodes when the show's premise seemed to flip. Right. But um, I I like that. It leaves me not knowing what to expect. And given what we know about how the season ended, I feel that we're going to get another completely different show once it starts off. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen next, but one thing I read someplace was that this finale, they're saying that the show has kind of almost rebooted itself depending on where it's going to go from this point on. But, like, it seems like, at least now, the premise is changing somewhat. Right, and, and I would say this would at least be the the second major reboot. Right. After the first two episodes. Well, the first two were kind of a prologue, as right. they're called. We're just sort of seeing what it was like before uh, Burnham did all that shit. Yes. And uh, everything kind of changed in an instant. Or as, what did you say they said at Comic-Con? They had the... Who said it? They had the rug pulled... Pulled yes. out from under her? The rug pulled out from under her, yeah. and the rug was supposed to be pulled out from under us, the audience. Right. I feel it was, and I feel that now it's it the second rug pulling. So it's interesting, too, because I went back and I, I've been re-watching the season, and I'm kind of watching it with a little bit more in a little bit more detail. And maybe I said this when we first started the podcast, I don't know, but it seems like the first two episodes is sort of like, it's starting off, oh, here's the Star Trek that you remember, so it all feels really familiar, and then all of a sudden... The rug is pulled out, and even we as the fans are like, wait, what the hell's going on? And then we get into the rest of the series, and the third episode kind of serves as the true pilot of the show. And it just feels so unlike any Trek we've seen before. Mm. You know, that's sort of like the beginnings of the of this new version of Trek that we've never seen before. I like that. That's an interesting yeah. point. I almost wish the show wasn't called Discovery, so that we would have been surprised when the first ship she was on was not her ship. Right, because but I think imagine but, if after two episodes of um, you know Next Generation, the Enterprise yeah. was destroyed and the captain died. And... Well, I think I kind of feel like also calling the show Discovery has a little bit of a uh, symbolic. There's a bit of a symbol uh, a symbolic ness to it. You know, maybe she's discovering herself, or we're discovering. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's called that, not just named after the ship, but I feel like it's called Discovery. It's like a journey of self-discovery, maybe, or something. I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, she's trying to find... uh, I think that hits on the theme um, of kind of Burnham finding her place. Right. She said she doesn't really fit anywhere. She's starting to find her place on Discovery. But But is that a lie? But to your point, like, you know, you're saying, like, on Next Generation, would they have destroyed the Enterprise? Because I remember a long time ago on Voyager, you know, there's a finale of Voyager when the crew gets stranded on a planet and Voyager, you know, takes off and they're left behind. And I remember my friend at the time was like, 
oh, do you think this is it? Do you think this is going to be stuck on this planet? Or do you think... And I'm like, well, the show's called Voyager. They can't not have Voyager on the show. Right. It's yeah. like when we were first on the Shinzo, uh, we were just sort of saying, okay, when do we get to the Discovery? Right. You know, so it wasn't a shock when something happened that took her off of the Discovery. I was surprised I mean, by the, the ending Shinzo. of that because I actually thought that Discovery... You know, when we had the Battle of the Binary Stars, I thought Discovery was going to be the ship that would sort of come in at the last moment and make an entrance like that and kind of save the day. You know, that's what right. I was kind of predicting, that I thought Discovery was going to have some kind of entrance like that. Yeah, no, we, we definitely... But we never saw it. It subverted our expectations because yeah. that we got something very, very different when hmm. it was her prison stopover. But like I said, I think I think the name Discovery, this, I think it's I think it's meant to be a little symbolic too and not just named after the ship. Oh, absolutely. It's um, about, I feel that it is. It's about Burnham's discovery of her place in the universe where she's not quite at home with the Klingons. Right. She's not fully at, she wasn't fully at ease even um, on um, the Shinzao. Right. Because she was very closed off and she was all business. And now she's starting to let loose. It's almost as if by destroying her reputation and all she had worked for, she right. has no choice now but to rebuild a new life for herself. And the one that she's building is more authentically her own because it doesn't have all those but I will um, say, preconceived notions of what she should and should not be doing. But I will say, you know, I would have I would have loved to have seen a show about Burnham and Philippa Georgia on the Shenzo. I would have loved to have seen a whole series about that. I'd watch that, even if it is kind of the same. Yeah. You know. I mean, I would have taken this first season just to have been regular Trek-like adventures. That would have been cool. And then, last episode is the second episode. Or the fall finale is the Battle of the Binary Stars. Right, Or right, something right. like that. That would have been cool. That would have been interesting. We would have um, cared more for, for her, certainly. Um, but, you know, what they did worked. Yeah. Considering. It would have been probably hard to essentially establish an entire show with the characters and then take it away. Would have been bold, though. I would have boldly gone where Star Trek has never gone before. So, I hate to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, so, this is the first time... This is the first season of Trek that we've had. This is the first new season of Trek that we've had in a long time. Um, we haven't had a season of Trek since 2004, 2005. When you go back and look at the first seasons of all the other shows, so far, I mean, you know, obviously the season is not done yet, but I think we're far enough along in this one where we can kind of draw some comparisons. How do you feel like it measures up against the other ones? Like, for me personally, I mean, I think that it is... I think so far it's the best first season of any Trek I've seen. Because there's a clear, defined path. Like, from where we were from the first episode... When I say first episode, I mean when Discovery first makes its appearance and we see where Burnham is. Where she is then, then, and where she is now, like, I see huge growth. You know, Stamets didn't like her. Saru didn't wasn't too happy, wasn't too thrilled about her. Lorca was a bit, but now like you see her form these kinds of relationships. You know, Tyler's there. She's got a, you know, despite what she did, she's got this like mentor like relationship with Tilly. I see her. I see Burnham as, I see some massive character growth in Burnham in just, in just, uh, in just seven episodes. Yeah, uh, definitely, and that does make it. Um... It's unique. the most developed, I think. Yes, and it's interesting, though. I sort of feel that bef- the next closest, I feel, is Enterprise. Right. Because Enterprise started pretty strong. Agreed. And sort of knew where it was going to a degree. 
I think it's the nature of the changing of television where you don't get 25 episodes to kind right. of figure out what your show's going to be like you used to with uh, Next Generation and so, uh, Deep Space Nine particularly. I feel like Enterprise was also doing some world building in its first season. You know, a lot of the episodes were self-contained. But what I appreciated about it at the time was, you know, they, I think they were doing some world building slightly because, you know, we had never seen the 22nd century before. So they were, they were really trying to establish the world in which they were in. But you also saw them referring back to other episodes in the first season, which Trek never really did all that much. They never really seemed... It was very rare when they would refer back to an earlier uh, plot line from a season. And Enterprise was doing that quite often, actually. And I, even though like it wasn't a long arc driven series at that point, but the fact that it was establishing like, oh yeah, when we did, when we, you know, ran into this hostile species, so we, we did this, then we did that. And you're watching the stuff, you're hearing this dialogue and you're like, oh yeah, they're talking about that episode. And then they're talking about this episode. So there felt like there was this continuity to it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think that was kind of, like I said, they knew where they were going and they mm. sort of knew that's where they were going. Another thing that I think Enterprise did well that I see in Discovery and not so much in the other shows was the character building. Yeah. Um, in a lot of the shows, the character building was almost secondary. Like You would get a little bit about a character just because they were doing some adventure and they would give up a little bit about themselves. Yeah. But the character development was much more explicit in Discovery. And the character development has gone to the next level. In, in um, Or rather, it was... It was more explicit in Enterprise, but it's right. gone to the next level now with Discovery because television I writing like, has gotten so much better. I feel like in the other shows too, they were also very. They were only they did specific character development. They didn't develop everybody, you know. On like on Voyager, they developed. I mean, Janeway was fairly developed. I think the Doctor obviously is the big one, Seven of Nine, but like there, I didn't find there a lot of character development with Chakotay or with Kim. Not so much with Bellana Torres or even Tom Paris for that matter. Like, so there wasn't. They were very selective on who they wanted to develop because I think that you know, as much as as great as some of those other secondary characters were, I don't. They were not as interesting as the Doctor and Seven of Nine. I think. Right. Yeah. And I guess actually, Discovery is doing that also. As I said, right. I want to see um, mm-hmm. Shaved Head Implant Woman get her episode to shine i want to know a rack story i don't know what's going on and we get right. nothing right no we don't get anything not yet i mean she's barely even spoken right and we yeah. get reaction shots sometimes on the bridge where sometimes she frantically hits a button right i mean burnham obviously has gotten the most development i'm seeing a lot of development with tilly um uh saru saru's getting a lot i mean he had that episode recently but and he had his threat ganglia ride in, the, Here's the, in thing. The, the lift. Maybe it's just me. I like Saru, and I know that he's meant to be the kind of alien of the show, or like the Spock or the Data of the show, but I don't find him as likable. No, I don't find him as likable either. He and is... I want, but the thing is, like, I want him to be, I want him to be that Data-like character, but like, I don't... He's just not as likable just yet. No, he has a sort of a snooty air to him. No, like, exactly. Snobbish air. And what I was hoping for, and, you know, maybe it can still happen because we'll have six episodes more to go, but, you know, one of the things I was predicting about him, because I was seeing a little bit of it in the first, uh, in the very first episode when we first see him, I was like, I I bet, I'm hoping, I bet he's going to be the one who, like, when the season's over, you're going to see, like, these YouTube montages of, like, 
the you know Lieutenant Saru's best lines or funniest lines or something no, like that. No, it's gonna be Stamets. And right, and like we're not getting it with Saru, and I'm like, damn. No, we're getting Stamets' best lines, I'm sure. And like, I, yeah, and like I want, I wanted Saru to be that to be that character, but yeah, I think he fits. He fills his role well. He does. He's the nervous alien with the threat ganglia. The threat ganglia. Um, but I don't find him very likable just yet. No, well, maybe he's not supposed to be likable. Maybe not, but... A lot of the characters are not likable. We talked about this early on. Well, I don't know. I mean, I will say I hated Stamets in the beginning when we first saw him. And yes. now he's like, I'm sorry, but Anthony Rapp like, steals the damn show. He definitely does. Yeah. But he has... His character has sort of... You know, vacillated back and forth between being this lovable, fun guy that we love and then being right. a, kind of a jerk like he was at the beginning, which, mm. as we talked about, probably is is story based. Well, I also think that, you know, when you when you consider the first time we saw him or everybody, for that matter, we saw them from Burnham's point of view. And given what kind of a reputation she had already, her reputation, her reputation kind of uh, precede her, precedes her. She already had like nobody liked her. And so we're, and so as the audience, we're like, well, fuck you. We don't like you either. We don't like you. Yeah. Stop I, being I, mean to her. Stop being a jerk. Yeah. Well, yeah. that was strange because I didn't like him. I did not particularly like Burnham. Right. So and then I met Lorca. I didn't particularly like Lorca. There was, at the beginning, there was sort of no one that I liked. Except right. for maybe Tilly. Right. And... Tilly was the one that was instantly likable because Tilly had no real... Like, she knew who Michael Burnham was, but... She didn't really have any preconceptions about her all that much. Right. And she just was, um, you know, sort of that. You're my roommate. You're my built. It's like having a built in friend. Right. She was sort of naive and, yeah. and you know, good natured. Right. And, and I love the relationship between the two of them because she's now Burnham is more or less her mentor, despite the fact that Burnham did something questionable and just, you know, lost her entire Starfleet career. But, you know, she's, she's become her, uh, her mentor, which I like a lot, actually. That relationship was great. I hope it continues. And I hope that what we saw at the um, alcohol-infused dance party does not uh, continue as a character trait of Tilly. Her exploits like that. I didn't like that side of her. I didn't think it fit. But uh, perhaps... Well, Tyler's the same way. Tyler also had no preconceptions about her. Tyler does not not like her. Well, right. But, Mr. Klingon. as we know, yes. Tyler may or may not be a Klingon in human form. True, a but Klingon, a Klingon, uh, either way, brain in a human body. let's say, let's just say he's not. Let's say he's, he actually is a Starfleet officer. I mean, he, you know, he doesn't hate Burnham and he doesn't treat her like shit like everybody else seems to. Right, Lorca also. Lorca has become, for me, uh, he's become a little more likable. I was not sure about him in the beginning. And, you know, the it's as previous Trek shows go, you're supposed to like the captain. The captain's the hero of the show, basically. Right. Or heroine of the show. And you're already represented with this captain who's an extremely question, with who has a very questionable character traits. And yeah, and he that started to, well, it's either started to come around or he's playing some type of long game of manipulation on the crew. We haven't fully... Well, is he starting to come around, do you think, or are we as the audience just getting used to him? No, I think his behavior has changed. Mm. I think his behavior has absolutely changed. Yeah. I, I, it's, if it were the beginning of the show, I feel he would not have cared one bit about the planet's inhabitants. Um, right. For instance, I mean, that's just one. Right. And 
I feel he he would have been more than willing to sacrifice some of his crew on the ghost uh, well, ship of the dead in order to take it down. Whereas it is it is circumstantial too. I mean, we have to wonder what Borka would be like when the war is not going on. I mean, there was that nice scene between him and Stamets at the end of this last episode when, you know, Stamets is in the shuttle bay and he's looking out and it's when he says, you know, I can give you one more jump. And he's like, you know, you don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. It was in that moment where I thought, oh, Lorca is actually kind of likable right here. Or how great of a way to get that last jump out of him than having that talk with him and convincing him of your great intentions. Maybe. He might be a master manipulator. I still am, Maybe. Say, putting and a pin in that one to watch. And, and don't forget, because him and, and... By the way, there's more character development, in a way, because don't forget, when we first saw Stamets and Lorca, and for the and within the first few episodes, those two did not like each other. They were always That's at odds. True. And now, they're just very kind of, you know, relaxed and, you know, they they're nice to each other. They're nice to each other. That was a good development. Um, Yeah, Lorca saw him as almost an inconvenience. I have to deal with these scientists in order to get this technology to work. Right. He didn't care about the scientists as individuals. They were more just one of the product they could create. Right. That's been a nice to watch. Yeah. He sounds like a Republican having to deal with scientists. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, No politics. I'm sorry. Um, But... I did like that scene between the two of them, and I've come around on Lorca a bit. I still am a little uncertain about him, but I like him a lot more now than I did in the beginning. Oh, me too. Or even, well, here's the thing. I still don't really like him as a person or trust him, but I love the character and I love watching the character work because I, I am firmly on the side that I, I expect him to still be evil but be manipulated. Well, you made some parallels between Lorca and Kirk. Several times in the past. Yeah, that's true. Um, Which... But the difference is, we like Kirk. Right. Kirk's a hero. Right. So I feel that Lorca's gone to the other side. I don't I don't think that... Um, Kirk would have done what Lorca did to keep control of the... Of the Enterprise. Um... I don't know. That's good. That's, that's, uh, that's interesting. I don't know. I don't think you would have. But that's something to uh, yeah. debate, I suppose. So, and they killed off one character I really liked, the security chief, in the third episode. Right. Um, that disappointed me <laughs> quite a bit, actually. Remind me who the security chief was. I forget her name. I don't, I've to- I'm totally blanking out on her name. Okay, but the uh, the tardigrade killed her. Oh, of course. Yeah, she yeah. was a good character. Yeah, yeah, she was good. She was a very good security right. chief. But yeah. she was more in line with... She, was, she wasn't first officer, but she was very similar to Lorca. I thought she had this sort of... I don't want to say corrupt, but she had this sort of way about her that was very similar to the, to the way Lorca was at, right. that, at that point in the show. And she was very much on board with Lorca. I remember her sort of explaining, like, that's how Lorca does things. Lorca gets results. Right. Just go with it. Mm. Um, so that was kind of cool to have sort of a... Lorca's on the warpath. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sort of have someone that was in, on his team completely and seemed to have someone that Lorca confided in. Right. I don't know that Lorca has anyone he confides in now. Well, especially with the what the admiral said, you know, multiple episodes ago, when she said we'll we'll figure out, we have to figure out how to get you to step down. 
which is still kind of out there in the void a little bit. Where I'm, I mean, granted they're on the other side of the universe or wherever the fuck they are right now. Dimension. And the admiral, and the admiral is not there, but um, that is still something that I want to know about. Right. Well, I want to know: Did he intentionally do that jump? Yeah. Just to keep command. Well, uh, may- maybe. I mean, you even raised the point early on. I th- you were one of us did. Where we I, we even began to wonder, you know, did Lorca know that Burnham was on that shuttle in Episode Three, and then did he purposefully? you know, find her to get her on board. Right. It seems so, because she seems so important. Remember, when, when he was sending the party, he did not want her to go to the ship of the dead, even though she was the only one who knew her way around. She'd right. been on the ship before. She knew more about the ship than anyone else. He right. was very much against the idea of her going. He seems to have some mm, unfulfilled reason for for her presence, which I don't fully understand. She does. It's not particularly... So skilled in anything. Here's something interesting. Powers. Here's something interesting I read today on TrekMovie.com. The one of the executive producers of the show, Aaron, or Aaron, Aaron Hobart Hebert, I forget his last name, um, mentioned that nobody on the show is safe. In other words, anybody could get killed off at any moment. Okay. So, do you ever think that this could be the first Trek show? Where they kill off their captain? Yeah, totally. Could you see Lorca dying off? Getting Absolutely. killed off? Yes. Um, because the show's not the right. The show's not. It's not the Lorca show. So it, it, this would be right. the first time it would work. Um, right. You couldn't kill off Picard. You well, because I was thinking about something. I was thinking about this. The show is really. I know it's called Star Trek Discovery, and the ship is called Discovery. Despite the fact that we're saying it's also a journey of me, you could also say it's a journey of self-discovery. You know, there's more. The word discovery has different permutations. So, and we like the other characters. You know, we were just talking about the other characters. But like, what if, like after the season ends, what if it follows Michael somewhere else? What if she's not even on the Discovery anymore? She's somewhere else, or like, you know, it follows Michael's journey basically. Uh, yeah, I would, uh, I would go along. It's with not. That. It's not. I mean, because they talked about when the show was in development, one of the rumors going around was that they wanted to do this sort of anthology series where it was a different plot, like American Horror Story. It's a different plot every season. And what if they sort of did do that, but they followed Michael to different places, and she's somewhere new every season? The, I I think a that would work really well because at least we would have one character, so we wouldn't have to start over getting to know a new group of characters. Right. So right. it would work in that respect. That you could do an anthology show, but give us the through line of a character we hopefully will care about. Right. Uh, and secondly, it makes a lot of sense given how uh, the Federation works, how Starfleet works. Right. People get moved from ship to ship. They well, get promotions. That, they get demotions. They and they that's go the around. thing that always bothered me because when you would watch these other these other shows, I mean, not none of the characters. It was very rare the characters got promoted, but when they did get promoted, they were still in the same positions they had before like garrett wang who plays harry kim you know has expressed i've seen him at conventions and comic conventions and he, he expressed frustration on his seven years on the show saying you know harry was never uh promoted why was he never promoted? and the producer's response was always well somebody has to be the lily ensign hmm. yeah and it was only furthered by the fact that on enterprise you had two ensigns you had ensign mayweather and ensign sato in the finale of Enterprise, which takes place a decade after the show begins, there's still ensigns. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's too bad. Um, and I'm like, what the fuck? Though, though, though the from the original, you know, crew that some of them became captains, but then they all came back to the Enterprise anyway. After well, Spock was, yeah, by the time I Spock think, and by the and, time they're uh, in Star Trek Four and like Kirk's telling handing out the assignments, he's referring to all of them as commanders. Yeah, every single except for McCoy, everybody's a commander. With that makes a lot more sense but it's easier to do when you have movies because right. you know you don't have to follow and five ships to stay in touch with your character i understand in tv you know especially back when the other shows were on the air it was probably much more difficult to or more expensive to you know maybe get rid of one actor and bring somebody else in to kind of take their spot if they get moved someplace you know does that mean you have to you know shuffle things around and you know say if they promoted harry to lieutenant to go somewhere else and then somebody goes into, into his old position you know i don't know well yeah but the thing is that the but jordy was... got it jordy was navigator then he was chief engineer well right but he didn't become captain no but he got promoted in his position changed because where he worked right. changed wharf but... became security officer because tasha yad died right well, and he was working he wasn't working at the the, the thing he was behind them yeah he was just waiting for somebody to step out of line he was a bouncer kind of yeah um the thing is the way those star trek shows were i feel they were about you wanted to go back to that world and see those characters doing their thing so to speak so if you started giving them their own ship and changing it up no it's like, well, I no it. i want to be on the enterprise with the crew that i like That's no i get it i, I mean about. you want us you want you know you want kirk to call down to engineering and talk to scotty yeah, you, know, you want right. McCoy to be the doctor. Because for anyone to become a captain, they would then be off the ship and off the show most Correct. of the time. Correct. No, you're not wrong. Which would make it hard. Yeah. Um, and Voyage is kind of a different circumstance, right? Because they're lost in the Delta Quadrant. And so you can't really transfer them to another ship. You can transfer them to right. another part of the ship, but... That's sort of the one that um, makes the most sense that no one right. moved. Yeah. They but Tom Paris, Tom Paris got demoted to Ensign and then promoted to Lieutenant again. They just need more of the actors to not want to do it anymore. And then yeah. it forces their hand into making some changes. Um, but no, I think it would be really cool if, you know, throughout the course of the show, we're following Michael to different places. I would like that. Let's say that they I mean, I would to... miss the characters. I would miss Stamets or, you know, whoever doesn't go. Yeah. But you can't assume they're all going to follow her. Some of them are going to die, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would like that. Let's say they go to this dimension and, you know, have some adventures, come back. And then Lorca is put in jail or he dies or something. Well, and then they realize Michael has proved herself and they give her a new assignment. And then we well, go even, there. Even to go further on that, right? Like, could could Star Trek Discovery... And I know I may be grasping at straws here, but like... Let's say they do do that. Next season, she's somewhere else. Like American Horror Story, could the name of the show change based on the season? Like, could they call it Star Trek something else? Oh, I think or, they they, could, or would they call? Or do you think they would call it Star Trek Discovery colon something? I think they could do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, I don't know that they would. But yeah, I think that would work fine. Be a pretty good idea. Because you have to, you have to kind of expect however long the show goes on for. I feel like I feel like the expectation is going to be Burnham is going to somehow be reinstated back into Starfleet potentially. I would expect so. I would expect it. Right. You've served your time by being stuck with that madman Lorca. But she may have, you know, it could be a case of like Kirk and his crew in Star Trek Three. They violated all these orders and they destroyed the Enterprise. And then by the time the voyage home comes, they save Earth and then all the charges against them are dropped. 
Yeah. And Kirk is just demoted to captain and they give him a new. This might be starting that long tradition of could, forgiving people for their misdeeds if they save the world. Yes. Or could they throw that on its head? Because we may be expecting that. And then, you know, what if, again, I'm just really, really, you know, making a huge assumption here. But like if they, if Starfleet offers her her rank reinstated, what if she, she could say, I'm sorry, no. Or she may refuse it or something like that. Right. Or she could save the day and then immediately be taken into custody. Right. As if nothing had happened. Because it's also the case of, on Voyager, you know, Chakotay's crew and him, they were the Maquis. When that shit, when Voyager began, I mean, the Maquis were outlaws. They were criminals. Mm. And obviously under the circumstances where Voyager was, Janeway needed a crew. So she offered, she gave them all field commissions. We don't know what, but really, it's in Starfleet's eyes, they're outlaws, they're criminals. They committed these, you know, criminal acts. And Seven of Nine, as much as mentioned, when they get home, you know, Starfleet will most likely hold you for a number of crimes. Mm. We don't know what happened to them once they got back. You know, seven years with Captain Janeway, you know, does her word mean anything? She's going to say, well, she's going to say, well, they were part of my crew and they did, they did such an excellent job. Is she going to basically put in the good word for them to get whatever charges they may have against them dropped or something like that. Right. I mean, that'll be definitely something to watch because I'm sure Starfleet doesn't think that Burnham's uh, appointment is permanent. Right. As he said, well, to fight this war, you gave me broad powers to do as I please, and that what he wanted to please was to have Burnham. So with the war over, I know they're in another dimension or place now, but... Mm you would think that that would be the end of that. Especially well, since we know he's losing command. It also still speaks, like if Burnham has the charges against her dropped, right? At any point down, down the line. It also speaks to a line on the original series episode, The Tholian Web. The Chekhov says, has there ever been a mutiny on a starship before? And Spock says, absolutely no record of such an occurrence, Ensign. So, I mean, um getting around it sort of maybe that was just wiped from her record or something like that whatever happens right yeah that's interesting because she's well known amongst everybody else in starfleet as the person who mutinied who mutinied yeah already interesting the tholian web it's third season of original series so it's about 13 years after discovery Right, no records. So. Very interesting. I don't know. Maybe this is all swept under the rug. But everybody knows it. How could it be swept under the rug? Well, a decade later. 13 years later. Yeah, but you've got, like, Tilly's 13 years after this. Tilly's still in Starfleet somewhere. Right. She's young. There's a lot of young people. But, unless she's killed off. Well, right, but it seems like everyone in Starfleet knows. Some um, of them are young, I'm sure. Fresh out of the academy. Right. But how long does that stay in the consciousness of, you know? I don't know. If someone was in the background that was like, wait a minute, what about Michael Burnham, Spock? What are you, crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, you know. It's, it's a That's big, interesting, it's a though. I wonder if that will be reconciled. Uh, well, maybe. We'll see. Because mm-hmm. um, um, I would like... Cause I would like to see her eventually become captain at some point. Right, right. Yeah, I mean because there's... that's and that's another thing. She was clearly heading in that direction. I mean, it was. Oh, absolutely. Say. Absolutely. Does that eventually get rectified in the in the end? Does she finally a- attain that? Right. 
So one of the other big things that we saw in this season was the course of the war. We saw the start, and we pr- we are pretty sure we saw the finish of the war. So how do you think or at least that the went? beginnings of the end of it, maybe? Yeah. So what were your thoughts um, about how that all played out? So specifically, I mentioned this on the other episodes before, but I never really felt like we were at war with the Klingons all that much because we never really saw much of it, and. There's that episode with Harry Mudd, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, where um, Tyler is toasting to all the people they've lost. Now, he may be referring to the Battle of the Binary Stars, but I think he mentions like the front lines and this and that, and I'm like, what front lines? We haven't even seen anything. Like his, to me, To me, his toast didn't mean anything. Right? It's not like the Dominion War. It's not like the Dominion War where we're seeing it up close and personal. Right. It's right? almost as if his toast was telling us right the toast was probably meant to let us know oh there's a lot of sacrifice going on but i haven't seen anything i mean we've seen miners we saw discovery get into a couple of skirmishes but to me it was no different than the enterprise getting into a skirmish with a klingon ship in an episode of the original series or one of the movies we did see a planet of miners that were going to be destroyed by yes which again discovery was supposed to rescue and then just took off yeah um but but I guess we could just assume we that's never saw. We never really saw discovery. There was like one time we saw discovery come to the rescue of another ship, right? But we never saw discovery like fighting alongside any other. It's stars true. You vessels. would think there would have been more battles, ship battles that we would have seen. The Defiant was leading the fight against the Dominion on Deep Space Nine, right? And we saw that. We saw that. We saw hand to hand combat. Nog yeah. lost a leg. We pretty much saw two. Well, I guess what three space battles we saw. Battle of the Binary Stars, we saw the Miners, and then we saw this last one. Was that well, it? they rescued that Starfleet vessel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, no, we haven't really seen much of anything. I mean, when when um, Lorca and Tyler are coming back from the Klingon prison ship, we see the smaller Klingon vessels, which yeah. look like NBC peacocks, I noticed, attacking them. Yeah. But, I don't know, to me... I know we're at war with the Klingons, but it never really felt like it. Again, it felt no different than just engaging the Klingons in a skirmish like we've seen before in the other shows and movies. Yeah. So overall, I'm really happy with uh, the season, and it ended on a very, in a very interesting and very compelling spot. And I'm dying to see what's going to happen next. And we, don't, and we don't. And the great thing is, we don't even have to wait that long. No, we really don't. We've got like four weeks. No. I'm feeling good about it. I, I felt it was uneven at points, but I felt that the arc was improving throughout the season. Nothing really felt like filler to me, in a way. Like, I never felt like there was any filler episodes. Like, all of them felt important. It, like, The Walking Dead, there's so much filler. Right. This, I never really felt hmm. like there was any of and I almost And my first instinct was to say, well, yeah... Because there's only so many episodes, whereas, you know, 25, 26, 27 episodes, you have a lot of filler, but Walking Dead doesn't have that excuse. Well, because they say, here's the thing, they say it's about the Klingon War, and it, it is, I guess, but, like, it never really felt like, as I said with the, you know, it never really felt like that was the forefront of the of the season. It, that, that, it was more the background, actually. The, the Klingon War took place off screen, because yeah. remember, we started one episode, um, we've turned the title of the war, we're winning. And then the next episode started, the Klingons have turned this out of the war. They're winning. Right. But we didn't see what caused those things, which I guess wasn't the point. We were seeing how it was affecting Well, I them. do wonder, you know, I do wonder if they made a conscious decision to not show much of it because we had seen that in 
Deep Space Nine with the Dominion War. We've we've had a war show before. I guess, but I really I like know. the ship to ship combat. Yeah, I enjoy. I just it want to see it, more of it when it's interesting and when it's you know creative and and well rendered. Yeah, I enjoy that quite a bit. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So far, I think that the the season it's it's. I think it's my favorite season of Trek so far. Like I, I don't think I've been into a Trek show more than I have this one because we're just—it's really cool to see a Trek show in, sort of with modern storytelling and modern production values. You're just sort of like, and again, I said this in earlier episodes, but it's good to watch a Trek show that like where I can like spin theories and make guesses because Trek didn't do that before, and it just made me—it yeah. took me a while to, to sort of get into, to that idea. Yeah. Well, like I said, there were points in the middle of a Trek episode where you could spin a theory. But it would be borne out in the next 15, 20 minutes. Right. And you wouldn't do it season by season. And it's, it's again, my favorite TV show of all time was always Lost. And this is, this is like Star Trek plus Lost. And, you know, mm. and that only, it's only more confirmed by the fact that the executive producer said, any character, nobody is safe. Right, I'd be like that. Well, anybody, my... anybody on Lost could have gotten killed off. I mean, they reached a point where, like, you're like, okay, well, I know they're not going to kill off that person. But, yeah. So yeah. that, to me, as much confirms that. Yeah, I like that as well. One of my favorite shows is Twin Peaks. And that's another show you can make theories about, except on that, nothing makes sense and not, nothing gets answered. And here we will yeah. probably have but I And I'd imagine with Twin Peaks, because, I, I mean, I don't watch it, but I can say, like, you know, to wrap this up, say, like, Lost, the show's had live, had a life... Beyond just being on the air once a week, you you sat there and you thought about it. Yeah, you thought about it, you talked about it, you debated it, you recorded podcasts. <laughs> um, so one last thing to talk about, you know, and during the show's downtime, uh, we began reading the new comic that came out yesterday. Yeah, or yesterday or Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday, the, as um, all new comic issues do. Yes, it's, it's put out by IDW, who has does, puts out all the Star Trek comics. Um, and I've never read um. I've read some issues here and there when something interesting was happening. Yeah. Um, but I've never kind of started jumped in at number one for one of their series. Yeah. Uh, I know they have a good reputation for what they're doing with Star Trek. And this is the Star Trek Discovery, The Light of Kalas. And if you're not familiar, this covers the uh, the origin story or the kind of youth and rise of Takuvma, which I'm surprised that I was enjoyed it as much as I did. Because I think we both sort of had our Takuvma issues at the beginning of the show where we sort of weren't crazy about the character. <laughs> Are you making a pun? A Takuvma issue? <laughs> I wish I were. I wish I were. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I had my issue, <laughs> my problems with him in the beginning because uh, I was just bored to tears. In the beginning, because the Klingon stuff was not interesting to me at all, right? And so, like, when I found out this is what the comic was about, I'm like, oh. But I read it. I read it on my commute to work, very quickly, mm. and I was really into it. Yeah, I, I really. So it starts off. I really love this first part. Page. One of four, I believe. Four parts are going to do it. In? I believe so. Yeah. It starts off the first page, full page. We see the ship of the dead floating in space, powerless. It's dead in space. And it, yes, floating ship, ship of the dead is dead. And it says, The battle of the binary stars is over. Takuvma is dead. His great flagship is crippled. No help is coming for the survivor. So it picks us up in something that we saw, but right after we cut over to Michael's story. Well, and Klingons do not send distress calls out. Uh, nor do they have escape pods. Well, who knows what they did at this time, because they're breaking a lot of their rules. But, so we get this, um, you know... 
back and forth between Lorel and Vok. Vok is trying to command the um, the the Klingons that are left. They're not quite giving him respect. Yep. And Lorel chimes in, um, telling him that he has to be more like Takumva, Takumva to get respect, and then says, "You don't know anything about Takumva." And then flashes back to the Klingon homeworld and Takumva's early story in his youth. Now, now, just as a side note, Vok is the character that the actor who played Ash Tyler plays. Yes, so he's so the this suspected, is where the he's the suspected uh, Ash Tyler Ash Tyler Klingon. Yes, in the albino thing. Klingon, as we have referred Klingon. to him for almost. <laughs> Every podcast, yes. I think. There was a great blooper that I wish I could share with all of you guys. That happened just a moment ago. Yes. I'm trying to remember who his name was. Vok. Um, now Vok. we will always call him Vok. We will always remember. Yeah. Um, so what we see is Takuvma, as a young person, is uh, from a great family that has now fallen into dis, dis, uh, disarray. Disarray. They lost yep. their money and their power and their prestige. But his family had, at one time, ties to the... Klingon ship of the dead, which is disabled, you know, like a like an old Chevy in the front yard with some uh, cinder blocks for tires. It's just yeah dumped out in the woods behind their their estate. It's very cool, just to think of it like that. Yeah, that to imagine was, it like that. Yeah, you know, thousands of years old and abandoned and sitting, and it seems like this is one thing that he's going to use to you know bring this this ancient kind of Klingon power back. And he's, it's interesting too that he's a kid that's bullied and he's picked on. Uh, and he almost, it seems to me that he's going to become sort of radicalized because he meets this woman uh, and she tells him to go and study at Boreth, which is the sort of spiritual center of the Klingons, it seems. Yeah, it's where you learn to become Klingon, basically, is what it was. Yeah, and more yeah. than that, I think just to become, like, um, you know, studied in the philo- the, the true philosoph- yeah, Klingon it philosophies. Is the, it things. is the, for lack of a better way of putting it, it is the Klingon Starfleet Academy. It is the Klingon Academy, basically. But I think it's a little different, because I don't think they're going to teach him how to fight with a batleth there. No, his family does that. Right, I think they're going to teach him yeah. how to, like, know what it is to be a true Klingon. Right. And I think he's going to get some... It seems like he's getting this ancient idea of a Klingon that the Klingons have moved away from. And he's going to right. trying to bring them back toward it. But it's true. Then, So his family starts to teach him to fight also. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that the, the way they depict the Klingons in this comic and on the show for that matter as, you know, this sort of ancient race. Which I never really got the sense... I never really got that sense on previous... On the previous shows right and an ancient race that isn't all so committed to as we know them in later trek they're all warriors and they're so aggressively warriors and they're very much all committed to that this yeah. is they show the much more depth and variety to i mean his uncle that he lives with i think it's his uncle Tukuma, yeah. just seems to be a shady business guy like a seems like a you know he would own like a car dealership like one of those well, local business people i think it also if i if i if you'll permit me for a moment i think it speaks to a line spoken on enterprise that one where archer is captured by the klingons and he's put on trial and his klingon lawyer who kind of rejects this whole notion of like you know he called it census bloodshed he said like you know my father was a great i think he said something like my father was a great teacher or some some scientist or something like that 
And he goes on to say, like, you know, we were we were such a great society not mm. so long ago. And I get the sense of that reading this comic. Like you get I mean, even though like, you know, with Enterprise it's long it takes place long before this, but like I get I sort of get that feeling from reading this comic and just seeing the backstory of what the Klingons are like. Yeah, as absolutely. depicted on the show. Yeah, and we sort of can see that their slow decline away from what, what they once were that was great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely into it. I'm going to keep reading this. Um, the art's good. Yeah, I want to read it again. It's got a... Um... Yeah, I like the art. It's got a sort of a, almost like a monochromatic coloring to it. It's all yep. very... Um, you know, they're Klingon-y colors. They're really like muted colors, and it works really well. Uh, and we, when we leave off, Takuvma is about to head... Uh, well, actually, he just arrives at Boreth, um, and... The the thing, and it's all strictly Klingon. I mean, there's no other. You don't see anything from Starfleet. Nothing. It's just all. It's a straight up Klingon tale. Yes, it is. And what it really is, it's we're getting a sense of the religion of the Klingons. So the place that he's going to wants to go to study this Boreth. Yep. Where you know. He's going to leave behind his small life that he has of being bullied and picked on and his family that has fallen into dishonor and lost their power and wealth. So he's going to a monastery, it says here, where scholars study the teachings of Kales, the first true Klingon, the father of duty and honor, the greatest warrior who ever lived. It goes on to say that before he passed, this Kales, into the afterlife of Stovokor, he promised that he would one day return to his people. When this ship is rebuilt, I will be her captain, and together we will fly to Borath to meet Kalas reborn. Now, this is the the woman um, that he met that told him about all this in the ship. But... Um, the interesting thing is that it, it sets up this as sort of a messiah story where there is this true right. Klingon that's going to return one day and the ship is part of it. So it seems like what Takuvma is doing is playing on this whole myth and this this um, messiah story. Right. Which is really interesting to, to see like what went into his rise. Mm-hmm. Because it did seem strange that this Klingon was able to bring the houses together even though he clearly faced all this opposition. Right. It's, um, now, again, this is going to be, is, is it in the thing where it says how many it's going to be? How long the series is going to be? I think it's Doesn't four, say. right? Doesn't say? No. Okay. Um, well, it's definitely going to be continued. I think the next, I don't know when the next issue comes out. I imagine next month. Um, Generally monthly. And it's, it's very light reading. I mean, it's obviously not that long, but... It's really interesting. It's a really cool read, you know, to check out while the show is on hiatus. Yeah, I, I, I'm really liking it. Um, and maybe I'll, when I go back and rewatch, I will enjoy the Tukuvma scenes more, knowing what I will soon know about the um, light of Kales. The thing that I, that I want to try to do, I don't think I'm going to have much time, is I want to try to read that novel that's out currently... But the name escapes me. There's a Discovery novel that is out. Currently. Yes. There's like one of them or two. She's on the cover of it. Mm-hmm. And I think there is another one coming. Um, and I believe it's also kind of a prologue to the series. 
So I'm thinking I may I may grab it like on my Kindle or something and see if I can uh, try to read that before the series comes back. Oh, do you mean prologue as in it's her on the Shinzao? I think so. Yeah, oh, that would be really great. I think so. Um, cool. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Um, I'll add it as an addendum maybe later on if I can. If I can but the next time we record. But um, yeah, I want to check that out too. I, you know, because I need my discovery while the show's off the air. Yeah, absolutely. So you can yeah. look forward to some type of spoiler-free review or spoiler-filled discussion of yeah. that book coming up. We'll let you know either way what that's going to and be. And that's the thing. Like, I think, you know, I don't think we want to just focus on the show itself. We also want to focus on the media outside of it. Yes. Because it's being written by the, the the show writers. So in the past, Trek comics and novels have not been considered canon. Right. But I'm going to make a leap now and say that these ones might be canon. I think so, because isn't the head writer... written by the same... Again, it's written by the same people. And the head writer is also a comic book writer. So yeah, I think that... Um, yeah, this will make sense. And it seems that setting it before, you know, it's it can't really interfere much so no we're putting it in safe canon places which is probably intentional. well again i think because it's the, it's the same as the staff writers in the show they will not i don't think they'll violate their own canon right basically. they yeah. know where they all are basically they you know what i mean right absolutely so um i love the comic and i you know my only regret is is that it was so short yeah, as, well, mo- as as all comics usually are. Right, and um, since I'm a regular comic reader, I'm used to the. I'm trying to be ten minute yeah. reads. What and just to kind of a little bit of a side note, just given you know the the way these things go, you know whether you have these novels coming out, you have these comics coming out. I would like, you know, I would I would totally kill for like a, like an animated series or something like that, like an animated short on this stuff. You know, in between. But given that CBS All Access um, needs to maintain viewers, it would make yeah. a lot of sense for them to have an animated. It's a lot faster production time. Yeah. You can get, you know, you can still get great writers. Yep. It would make a lot of sense. Whether it'll happen, I don't know. But Yeah, and I, I think while the show is... Because I think CBS really has to kind of figure out what they're going to do. Because they've already said that this is their, their, uh, their most successful show. And they've announced several of the shows coming to the platform. Twilight Zone, by the way, which is what I'm really, which is one that I'm really yes. excited for. But right now, us Trekkies are kind of driving this platform, and I think it's a safe bet the Trekkies are going to watch Twilight Zone too. But like, what else are you going to do to keep us on this platform while Discovery's off the air? And there is, I don't know if you know about this. There's that rumored Con series. I know nothing of this. You know nothing about that. So the director of Wrath of Khan, Nicholas Meyer, who also wrote it, he's also a consultant on this show. Right. Uh, but since Brian Fuller left, I don't really know what his role is. He was saying that he's working on another Star Trek TV project. He said this before Discovery came on the air. Okay. And it hasn't been confirmed, but the rumor is that it's like a like a like a ten. I think it was like a ten episode or like a five episode some something limited series focusing on Khan. Interesting. Anything on what period? Well, they say the rumor was that it was while he's on SETI Alpha Five, uh, and I'm thinking, what, really what happens on SETI Alpha Five? Like, can we see? Yeah. When he roasts a pot, I don't know, but hmm. when he figures uh, out those bugs that make great torture. But here's the thing: like, m- my hope is with 
the way Disney treats Marvel and like the way, you know, what they're doing with Star Wars, having all of these different, you've got movies, television, comics, everything, you know, could we really get a sort of expanded Trek universe again? I think if they're going to do it. Could we have more entities? They have to get the, they would have to get another show going or a cartoon because I think they've always had the comics and the novels. They have. And they reach a limited audience. It's really the shows <laughs> and the movies and things that are going to reach a larger audience. And I think that CBS would do a better job than Paramount has done with the movies. Because CBS owns the TV property. And yeah, they, Paramount and I think, seems really unwilling to do anything. CBS knows how, the, how to do TV. It's funny. I read this article a few years ago. It was before Star Trek Beyond came out. I think, like, I think we'd only had like the first. We only had the two Abrams films at the time. And, you know, there was a lot of complaining because Into Darkness came out four years after the first movie did. Like, they thought that they didn't strike while the iron was hot, basically. Because somebody, because they had said, whoever, the, whatever the article was, they were like, whoever wrote it said, you know, when the first Abrams film came out, Paramount had, like, a potential franchise in front of them because it was so successful. They even went as far to say almost on the same level as Star Wars. Because it was like in, because the thing was, that movie appealed to so many, to such a wide audience. Hmm. That it they had the potential to well really strike while the iron was hot and just, you know, again. I mean, nothing can be Star Wars again. No, but like. Well, maybe four, Marvel. Four is. years between movies, the hype kind of died down. And I was like, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I like that movie, but. Yeah. You know. And then to have a movie out that wasn't as universally loved, which, though, that actually, I just want to make this point before you go on. That's what makes me skeptical of the Khan series working, because I feel J.J. Abrams has ruined any con love i feel like or at least sound well i think people understand that the, these are two separate entities i don't know right like oh yeah con from yeah <laughs> i guess yeah i don't think they take and this is not a knock against abrams but i don't think fans fans don't take those that universe as seriously and it's only made true by the fact that discovery is set in the prime timeline it's like oh yeah right Hmm. yeah yeah um the point of this article that i was talking about and again i read this like maybe four years ago they were saying that they were the whoever wrote it was disappointed they said you know paramount has again there was no discovery yet there was no announcement of discovery yet and they were saying that paramount and cbs could turn trek into the next marvel cinematic universe well and this is what i said i'm like but it was that at one point Oh, that's true. Think yeah, they had it. like in the nineties, two TV shows on and movies coming right. out. No franchise was doing that at the time. Like when Mar- when Marvel started doing, it, everyone's like, "Oh my god, that's so." Rough. And I'm just like, um, "It's a good point." Trek kind of did that already. I mean, Marvel, it's much more expansive. Marvel has so many different IPs in within that that all that all coexist yeah. in that same universe. But like, I was thinking about this. Like, they could they could do that with the show. Like, it's okay to do that. like. I know. I, I think it would. It would it's okay would, to do that now because back then it was sort of like over. There was too much of it. But like, look at what Marvel's doing. Look know. at what DC. Like, I feel like now, like it's okay to and look at Star Wars. Like, it's like now's the time. Like, it's all right to do that. Well, you're right. So I think they could do it. It just seems that every film company thinks that they have one of those, and then they plan it all out. And for some reason, it doesn't happen. I don't know why that is. It seems well, to be some. But behind I think, the scenes business decisions that I don't fully get. But I, I but feel, Star Trek is built for it. But yes. Trek has the name recognition 
And um, it has the universe. It has the universe. Of I mean, it's not in situations. I wouldn't say it's as adored as like say a Star Wars or a Marvel is. But Right. But it has a lot of goodwill in behind the name. It does. And when the first Abrams film came out or was coming out, I remember when that was coming out, a, an old friend of mine, my oldest friend, who was never a Trek fan at all, never just never watched it. He's like, I really want to see this movie because that movie was made for him. I mean, I still wanted to see it. But the fact that he wanted, like, and him and I went to go see it. I'm like, I can't believe I'm seeing a Star Trek movie with you because we've never gone to see a Star Trek film at all. Right, yeah. I mean, that was, that was one of the big complaints. This is more of a blockbustery popcorn movie and Star Trek should But be that's, more... to me, I was okay with that. Like, and even for a long time, like, this is something really, this is another thing I'll point out. On the Star Trek First Contact Special Edition DVD, there's a commentary on there by Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore, the two guys who wrote the movie. Even as far... And that they did that in like 2005. 2005. Two, or 2004. Even as far back as then, they were saying that Trek has been around for a long time and they think that it needs some kind of a reboot. Kind of like they did, they've done multiple times with like Superman. They're like, this needs some kind of a reboot to get everybody on board again. Because mm. it's just, there's so much of it. And I never tried to get somebody into Trek. Like before the first movie came out, I never tried to get anybody into Trek... Who didn't watch it before. Because my problem was. Where do they even begin? Yeah. You know. Do they begin with the original series. And they're going to think. Oh this is too 60s for me. You know like. Wh- what was the entry point. For somebody to get into Trek. Yeah that's a tough one. It was difficult. Because. Don't forget. You know Trek shows take a little time to develop. And actually get good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the entry point into the franchise before that movie came out was difficult, and I think that regardless of how people feel about that first movie, the Abrams, the first Abrams film, it provided a really good entry point for people to get into the franchise. And I actually know people who have now gone since then have gone back and watched things before it, and they're now huge fans. Wow! Well, yeah. that's great. It's Simon Pegg put it a great way. It was like, imagine you're getting into a band and you just discover them on their for on this album. Then you then you discover like, holy shit, there's like a twenty. They have like a ten year backlog of music I can go back and listen to. Yeah, I yeah. Who were these Rolling Stones? What they've been around? You know, it makes sense. I'm sure that only happens with a, you know, a minority of the people that see the film because right. a lot of it was you know it's a blockbuster and you go see it, and you right. eat your popcorn, and you go home. Um, but I would watch a con show. A con oh, I would, you and I, mean, I would watch it. I would watch it, and like, you know, but, we would watch anything. But I like to think that <laughs> we would at least watch but, it. But again, you know? I was, don't have I, to win but, us all. But again, I was open to the idea of them rebooting the franchise to begin with. I wasn't like, no, 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 you can't do that. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I didn't care either. I mean, they're, um, just, they're they're too old if you want to do but it. But like, but but on the counter to that is yeah. the fact that I mean, Star Trek rebooted once, right? And it did it by going in a new direction. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I would. I mean, that was always an option. I don't you know? know. I would kind of. They, they that rebooted once by going forward. They did, but I would also kind of make an argument that you could consider every series, in a way, a reboot, even though it exists. It acknowledges what came before it. Right. You know. Well, I mean, I would say that it reintroduces you to that universe. Next generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. Next generation was for all intents. Yeah, that was that was most definitely that a was reboot. a reboot, and then Deep Space Nine was in that world. 
Right. Literally, they saw the same characters back and forth right. in Voyager also. But I felt like with Deep Space Nine so and Voyager, different. like, I, I feel like... Together. No, you're not wrong, but I also feel like you didn't... They didn't rely on the ones that came before it for you to understand what's going on too much. Voyager kind of did. Deep Voyager was kind of set up a little bit on Next Generation. Toward the end of Next Generation. Deep Space Nine literally started with but, Picard. But, but there's also... They have a prologue in the beginning that tell you what's going on. So, DS9 did and Voyager did in the yeah. first episode. So... Okay. Enterprise was a reboot, but it took place long before any of that. So you didn't even you didn't even need to see anything. And you said, didn't you say that was like your kind of? I mean, you'd watched Trek before, but wasn't that sort of like the first one that you really? That's the one that got me back into Trek after back being away for many yeah. years. Yeah, yes, and then through that, I had watched all of uh, all the movies, and then Next Generation, but that was it. And, and the I, original series. Of and I feel like Discovery is kind of the same way. I mean, I remember like when, you know, fans complain about everything. They're like, when the trailers were coming out, even even the night of the premiere, they were like, it looks like an Abrams film. There's lens flares and it has the same visual look. And, and I countered it by saying, I think that even though it takes place in the prime timeline, we as fans know that, but I think... They're hoping like, oh, I'm not really a huge Trek fan, but I saw the first, I saw the first three Abrams movies. This kind of looks like that. Does this take place? Oh, maybe I'll check this out. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. I think visually it worked very well for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you could kind of expand on the universe again. And it's okay to do that. Just given the way franchises are doing that these days, before it was sort of like it was it was too much. Yeah, you know, back in back in like the nineties, like around oh. the thirtieth anniversary. Like, I mean, what other franchise back then had movies coming out regularly and had two shows on the air? Right, but I mean, they did fine, didn't they? they yeah, they but money. like, I think that by the time Voyager ended and then Enterprise came up, you're like, oh, like I, I like so really quickly, you know, quick story. I remember when Voyager was ending. Okay, and I was talking to I think it was like my mom or something like that. I don't even know. She's not really a big Trek fan, and I remember saying because she's like because she knew Voyager was a show I loved at the time, and I remember saying like yeah, there's there's but there's another show coming out in the fall, and she's like she's like another one like really another one? I'm like yeah, and <laughs> maybe that's not the best example, but it's like. For me, it was kind of like, well, yeah, I'm expecting there to be another one. Like, because it was inconceivable to me for there not to be. Because right. the whole. Uh, up, up until Enterprise ended, my whole life, there had always been Trek on the air. Always. Right. Yes. There was so never a dry spell. And I'm like, it, it, to me, it seemed inconceivable. Like, right. wait, what? And especially at a time when there was not a lot of sci fi on television. Right. It just seemed like it had to be there. Yeah, it's like Voyage's ending. What, there's another new show coming? Like, yeah, of course there's another new show coming. What are you talking about? There has to be another new show coming on the air. Like, what do you mean? Of course there right. is. But, no, like, I watched, and I think this is part of the problem, too. And, you know, I know we're kind of talking a while about this, but I think the problem you had back then was that all of it was being done by the same people, the same production team. And I think 
with Enterprise, and I think the reason why Enterprise was set where it was was for them to break free of break free of like the the constructs of where they were. They wanted to start fresh and be get creative again, and I feel like that comes across in that show. Yeah, you know, it may not be ex- it may not have been executed as well as you know it could have been, but I watched the first season of Enterprise, and I can just tell that they're having fun with the era that the time the show with the era the show is set, is set in. Oh yeah, that was one of the things I really loved about it in yeah. the beginning. And but even so, like by the time Enterprise reached season two, it did still feel like this is just and the writers have expressed it. There's some great bonus extras on the on the Blu-ray to talk about this. They just could not break out of it. Like they had no time off in between Voyager and that and like I don't know if you know this. Do you know what the original plan for Enterprise was? in the beginning what they wanted to do and i don't know what the show would have been like had they decided to do it they wanted the whole first season to be earthbound and the entire first season was them building like so the, the klingons would have still crashed in the first episode but they had to quickly build that ship and get the enterprise built and it would not have launched and so like the whole first season would have been about like the internal politics and everything been and getting great. the ship built. And the ship would have like been launched at the end of the season. I would have liked that. And that that would have been so like think about big, how that would have been think break. about how that would have been at the time. And like I'm sure it would have had some Deep Space Nine feel to it, because it was ground based, but like and political. But think of like how different that would have been. Yeah, a whole season of sort of Starfleet headquarters. It was like like Braga had said, like it would have been people like in the mud. That's putting the ship together yeah. and then you know, and I loved, but the problem was, and the the writers, the, the staff of that show is not entirely to blame. It was more Paramount that just wanted the same thing. The only reason that Temporal Cold War is in there is because of them. They wanted some futuristic thing to it. So if you watch the bonus extras on the Blu-rays and you see what it is they originally wanted to do, mm. you're like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, that would have been pretty awesome. Ah. So, like, they're, I, I don't consider them being entirely at fault, and that's not what this conversation is about. Mm-hmm. But you can see where Trek may have potentially gone, you know, yeah. in that case. And maybe we could see those kind of things on some animated series with less of a budget, yeah. easier to get them out. Um, right. I, yeah, I, I just I hope they'll put in that type of commitment, and it seems that they're happy with um, Discovery, so I'm we'll happy see Discovery. what happens. We Yeah. Um, but until then, we have until January 5th, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, something yes. like that, until the show comes back. So. But we will be back with you. At uh, some point. In the next week or so. Before Christmas, definitely. Oh, yeah, we'll be back yeah. a couple times before that, trust me. So. Well, he may, he might, I don't know if I will. So, uh, yeah, we mentioned some, we're going to be doing some, watching some back episodes and whatnot, but all that will be coming up. Just we want to, stay subscribed and you'll yeah. get us. Yeah, we want to basically try to watch a few episodes of the original series that tie into Discovery. Somewhat. Yep. You know, like the Harry Mudd episodes you were talking about. Yep, Harry Mudd episodes. Like we that. talk about Enterprise so much, maybe we could watch some Enterprise. Well... Yeah, but anyway, we'll we'll I will keep you all with Harry Potter. You have to you have to posted. take into consideration the animated episode too. Absolutely, we're gonna watch yeah. the animated episode definitely. Yes. Um, well, um, and also Michael Burnham's potential cameo in Star Trek for the Voyage Home. Oh yes, we'll do it. All right. We well, talk about that already. 
thank you for listening. Um, remember, check us out on... I, on uh, Twitter, Twitter, at Disco Podcast, and email us at indiscoverywetrust at gmail.com. I thought I got an email today from somebody, and it turns out it was only from Twitter telling me I had notifications. <laughs> so, yeah. um, our, our hailing frequencies are open. So please. <laughs> Nicely done. All right. Yes. Till next time. <laughs>